we're off to a great start. <laughs> uh, this is only the beginning. So it is April in Marion County, Tennessee. If you live in Marion County, Tennessee, and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> because no one does. But that means it's cornbread season. It's a great time of year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This microphone ain't having it today. May God have mercy on my soul. <laughs> and then it just falls over again and I'm like, all right. Yes. Kelly is 100% right. It is cornbread season. I think it's the last weekend in April. I think that's how it goes. But the last weekend in April is always the National Cornbread Festival in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And I know we talk about Jasper a lot, but South Pittsburgh is the town adjacent to Jasper. Also has a population of 3,000 people. (laughs) And is the big sports rival. (laughs) Yes, I had many an evening. Wow, your microphone is just... Over it. <laughs> but I was going to say, I spent many a Halloween rolling houses in South Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, good times. I recommend it. Yeah, everybody should roll at least one. I've never done that. Really? And, yeah, I haven't. Man, I was a teenage punk ass. Aww. That's my favorite kind of punk ass. <laughs> Not my favorite. Other punk asses. <laughs> As Kelly was explaining, the Cornbread Festival is uh, what we here in the South like to refer to as a big fucking deal. Yeah, man, I forgot to look up how many people go every year, but it's tens of thousands. Yeah, it's a lot. And yeah. it's not a big festival. Like, Well, I mean, it's big for the number of people that it draws to it, but space-wise, like you're crammed in there. Yeah, it's one street, really, and <gasps> then a fairgrounds. There's a factory in South Pittsburgh called the Lodge Factory, and... So, with it being cornbread season, Kelly and I decided we wanted to do the history of the cast iron skillet. Yes. This is probably only going to make sense if you live in the South or are familiar with Southern cooking, but Southerners love cornbread. Yes. And cornbread must be cooked in a cast iron skillet. It or just, you are no one. Yeah. Or you're a failure. A monster, even. A mo- So, in honor of the National Cornbread Festival, we are doing an episode on cast iron. One of our less depressing topics, Rachel. I know. I'm pretty into it. Yeah. Very uplifting, that cast iron. As Rachel just said, Lodge Manufacturing Company is located in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. They are the world's most famous producer of cast iron skillets, and I think the oldest still operating today. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. Welcome back to Southern Hills. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kelly. And you already know what we're doing, so (laughs) we just figured we'd throw in this is who we are. Oh yeah, you can like us, subscribe to us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We actually do some of those things now. Yes, I did make the Instagram. I have yet to post on the Instagram, (laughs) but it's coming. Yeah, it's something. (laughs) Southern Hills, it's something. (laughs) Southern Hills, we're working on it. So, um, just to give a brief history of Lodge Manufacturing, it was founded by a man named Joseph Lodge in 1896, who was from Pennsylvania, which I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, that's, I wouldn't have expected that. No. But he left home at 15 years of age, and he spent his years on the road. He kind of traveled across the country on foot, which is pretty cool, and let's see. So he boarded a steamship from Pittsburgh to Louisville, Kentucky, 
And from there, he traveled on foot through Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Holy crap. Yeah, and he kept a journal while he was traveling, and um, he actually documented the first day he ever tasted cornbread. <laughs> it was March 31st, 1867, in Missouri. So we're only a couple of days out from his cornbread and cornbread anniversary. Oh my god, you're right. Man, they should make the cornbread festival the last weekend in March. But yeah. I guess I guess it's still cold. Oh, yeah. But still. <laughs> Come on, let the history live. <laughs> so anyway, he traveled all throughout the southeast. Um and then moved to Cuba for 2 years. And he left Cuba in 1876 when he was 28 years old and moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee in search of industrial work. Chattanooga used to be a really big industrial hub in we the had South. A, we had a big foundry right in the middle of downtown, too. Yeah, that's right. U.S. Pipe, right? Is that the one you're talking about? I think so. Or Eureka Foundry? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think they might be the same. But I just remember seeing the like big sign that said Eureka Foundry. I remember that, too. Oh, my God. And um, where U.S. Pipe used to be they filmed that horrible tim mcgraw music video oh my god truck yeah oh god i've never <laughs> seen it oh god that oh sounds... you are in for a treat oh we're gonna google that i'm spamming this. you with that later <laughs> yes so he moved to chattanooga at 28 years old and i thought this was worded pretty funny um he went for a walk one afternoon and ended up in south pittsburgh which is 25 miles away from chattanooga yeah just a quick just a little jaunt just you a know? stroll <laughs> Um, but it's a small industrial town along the banks of the Tennessee River. He really liked the town, and he built a house there. And today, that house is still inhabited by the Lodge family. I had no idea. Yeah. So, anyway, he lived and worked in South Pittsburgh, and then founded Lodge Manufacturing in 1896. It used to be called Black Lock, but the name was changed in 1910. Yeah. So, oh. that's the founder, Joseph Lodge. I thought it was kind of funny that his last name was Lodge. Yeah, I I didn't realize that that was one of those companies that like was name based. I didn't either. But I guess I guess that makes more sense than just why the shit is your guys always <laughs> killing in Lodge. So something really cool about Lodge Manufacturing is that yeah, it's been in operation for 150 years and it's still family owned. So it's um let's see the fifth generation of the Lodge family still owns the company and still lives in his house. That's amazing. That's like quality family bonding. Yeah. They must play well together. Yeah. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, I can't relate. <laughs> oh, wait. It's been 120 years, not 150. Let's see. 1896. Yeah, 120. Oh. Well, we'll just have to wait one more generation, dude. It's cool. So, yeah. The company's 120 years old. It, you know, based in this tiny town, it survived two world wars and the Great Depression. And this is something I thought was kind of weird um so during the great depression people weren't buying skillets so to keep the factory running and to keep the employees you know employed and to take care of the town they started making cast iron doorstops that were shaped like different breeds of dogs i've seen those really yeah not like i've seen cast iron dog doorstops i didn't realize that was like a lodge thing i thought that was just a thing it was a lodge thing it was specifically to survive the great depression how is that better than skillet? Exactly. Like, how are people unable to buy a skillet? But let's buy this cast iron dog door stopper I that's mean, shaped like a Scottish terrier. I mean, I, I do love corgis. I might. <laughs> could you just imagine a little corgi butt stopping the door? You would be into it. I can't argue with that. God, now I, now I have to have those. You realize that, right? That's going to be my rich old white lady thing. Ooh. 
that would be a cool antique. Well, that's yeah. Happening. I just I do. I wonder, like, how how did that survive the depression and not a skillet? Yeah, that makes no sense. Weird. Or maybe. Oh my God, is that how people, is that how you survive like a great recession? Market things only to extravagant rich people. Ooh, that's true. They're like, we're riding out the storm with our Scottish Terrier doorstops. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> Leave me to my skillets. <laughs> and um, I also did not know this. At one point, like, okay, you've probably seen the cast iron pans for cornbread sticks that are shaped like ears of corn. I used to play Play-Doh with those. Wow. I have distinct memories of putting Play-Doh in it. That's funny. Well, there was one, I suppose an early one, that had to be discontinued because the cornbread did not come out looking like an ear of corn as intended, but rather a penis. <laughs> I want that one. I do too. Oh my God. Actually, I told my sister, I was really excited about this topic because Kelly is not exaggerating. Cornbread and specifically cast iron skillets are central to Southern life. Like, they're heirlooms. Yes, they are. People fight over, like, who gets their grandmother's cast iron because that shit is, like, so well seasoned, it's glass. Yeah, and they're passed down with, like, a reverence. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're talking about a diamond necklace or something. Yeah, they're like, like here is my cast iron skillet. It is perfectly seasoned. Keep it seasoned, you bitch. <laughs> like, that's what your grandmother wants to say. Yeah. I swear to God, all those years of bacon, grease, and lard, you better. But it is kind of cool. I think it's a really cool heirloom because I feel like everything that's ever been cooked in there is kind of in the skillet, literally. Yeah, which lovingly, is, too. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. I actually, can I read you this quote? I didn't expect us to say this, but I read it's, a, it's the funniest thing. This lady called Sherry Castle wrote this article. I didn't write the website down because I'm a dick, but if you Google it, you could find it generations of love in a cast iron skillet and her quote is the ancient egyptians outfitted tombs with objects thought useful and necessary to the departed in the afterlife perhaps i should ask my people to trundle me off to the sweet hereafter with my skillet by my side <laughs> you see some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouths i was born with a cast iron skillet in my hand yeah it's true i have two that i did not buy i'm pretty sure they came from my parents i don't actually know i've just always had them <laughs> they were just bestowed upon you yes she used to used to make me pancakes in those yes pancakes um biscuits and gravy biscuits are cooked in a cast iron skillet gravy is also cooked in a cast iron skillet oh, oh yeah and for, for our non-american listeners i mean fucking biscuits i don't mean cookies yeah god we're never gonna mean cookies when we say that yeah and I always have to explain what a biscuit is. And then they're always like, oh, that sounds like a scone. It is not a scone. No, biscuits are why we are fat and we're happy. <laughs> you're, you're calling your cookies biscuits is why you're skinny and miserable. <laughs> so I read a really amazing um, write-up called The Lucky Dogs of South Pittsburgh. It's on bittersoutherner.com. And I really recommend reading the whole thing. Um, it's a pretty heartfelt history of lodge manufacturing, and they interview uh, the CEO today. <clears throat> but the point of the article, it's funny because the initial point was to talk about the South's obsession with cast iron, which is the topic <laughs> of this episode. Sweet. But then after touring the foundry and talking to the employees and talking to the owners, the author realized, like, wow, this is a really amazing company. So it's just a story about Lodge. Um, this is pretty unheard of for such a successful company. Lodge is exported all over the world now. 
Um, South Korea, they talk about increasing their exports to South Korea by 50%. Oh my God. Yeah, I had no idea Koreans were cooking with cast iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the company has never left South Pittsburgh, a town of 3,000 people. It stays there. So the author was wondering, like, why do you stay in South Pittsburgh? And there's a pretty awesome quote from the great-granddaughter of Joseph Lodge. And she says... It's just our ethic. Not only are we fourth going on fifth generation owners, but the employees are also third and fourth generation employees. We're part of the fiber of this town. We're the only real business that's been here for a long time. I actually do know some generational lodge workers. Yeah. Now that I think about it, people I went to school with. Yeah. When we went to school, um, our friends' parents work there. Now our friends work there. Yeah. that's. And yeah, the author of this article kind of um, rephrases that by saying, the Lodge family is more interested in asking, what will leaving do to South Pittsburgh, than asking, how much money can we make? Man, so that's yeah, amazing. They probably could make more money if they exported jobs or investment bankers move in, but they just don't want to because they love South Pittsburgh and they love the people of South Pittsburgh. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. Man, that, what was his name? Joseph Lodge? Yeah. He had to have some like serious values that he instilled in his kids and they just like stuck around. Right. Because usually you have, um, it's kind of the trend in America. You have the first generation makes it, the second generation makes more of it, and the third generation absolutely squanders yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard that too. The third generation always squanders it. But yeah, this is going on five generations and it doesn't seem to be changing. If you're going to stay humble, South Pittsburgh is the place to make it happen. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, that asks the questions, you know, how does a family brand in a tiny town survive 120 years and be as successful as they have been? And um, the four things they list here is innovation, commitment to quality, reinvestment, and dedicated and passionate people. Lodge is actually an insanely innovative company for being a small company because I feel like small companies are usually less likely to keep up with the times. You know, they get set in their ways and comfortable and then they fail. But Lodge has stayed ahead of the game. I remember this happened in 2002. We, we were in high school, but Lodge started making pre-seasoned skillets. Oh, I do remember that. That's when you buy them and they're ready to cook because before cast iron had to be seasoned and there's all these different ways of how to properly season a skillet. The most common, I think, is to um, coat it in oil, put your oven on the highest setting, and bake it in the oven for hours. Yep. But there's another method mentioned in this article that's like bake pan after pan of cornbread until it's black. <laughs> <laughs> I like that method. Yeah, but they started making pre-seasoned skillets in 2002. And I remember hearing like friends' parents being like, there's pre-season skillets now. You can just <laughs> buy it and cook in it. Mind blown. Yeah. Well, another thing, Le Creuset is another iron cookware, but they're enameled iron cookware. Lodge makes that now. The only step that they don't do is the enameling. Enameling is done in China because it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to also create a glass factory. Mm -hmm. So they, sh they you know ship out that part, but they still make the internal skillet part. Interesting. But that's wildly popular. I have, um, I actually, specifically because so many people, like we were just saying, people that we grew up with still work there. Whenever I go buy cast iron, I buy Lodge because you're supporting yeah, me too. people that you know. I just do. I buy Lodge because it's just my understanding that Lodge is the best. Yeah. And yeah, because it's from South Pittsburgh and that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, um, so one of the other things was unwavering commitment to quality. I think this is amazing. So 
this article talks about Lodge's quality control process. And so when they're touring the foundry, they saw, you know, a pile a pile of raw iron, and then beside that, a giant pile of unseasoned skillets that, you know, were going to be remelted. And so they asked, um, what's the deal with the skillets? And here's how it works. Um, after the skillets come out of their molds, they're hung by a hook on a system of conveyor chains. Something that is also a lodge trademark that I did not know is the teardrop handle. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they're hung by the handle when they come out of the mold and um, they go through a conveyor system. And as they move through the process, any lodge employee, even if they do not work in the foundry, any lodge employee um, has the right to pull a skillet off the hook and dump it in the scrap heap. Wow. Yeah. And they have up until the moment it is put in its packaging. So at any point, any person can say this skillet is defective and put it in the scrap pile. They have that ability. And so they ask, you know, what's the percentage that gets put into the scrap pile? And it's anywhere from 10 to 14% a day. Oh, wow. Which is a huge number. Yeah. So that begs the question, how does that make any business sense if 10 to 14% of your original product is defective? But that defers to their return rate. So out of all the lodge skillets shipped to retailers worldwide, customers return only 0.03%. Holy crap. And you know that's like an, I thought I could afford this and I couldn't return. That's not a... Exactly. Man. Yeah, at least some of those would have to be. So that means for every 33,333 lodge skillets that leave the foundry, only one will be returned. And they give a really nifty statistic. Your chance of being struck by lightning in your lifetime is 100 times greater than your chance of buying a faulty lodge skillet. Whoa. <laughs> That's pretty fucking cool. That's a bold claim too. I like it. Yeah. And they make this point that I think is really great. So they, they empower their employees in that way um, with that kind of trust. And as a result, they have this amazing quality. Yeah. I don't think a lot of um, companies get that. <laughs> no. I mean, oh, our refrigerator just broke. So we, I mean, it's less than 10 years old and like literally a cast iron skillet is this generational thing. It's just something that gets passed on. Yeah. So that's, yeah, they last forever. They're indestructible. Yeah, it's just so unheard of in all the things that you use regularly today. But so when they started putting out these cast iron skillets in 2002, and actually in 2007, they exclusively put out cast, I mean, I'm sorry, pre-season cast iron skillets. Hmm. So they started putting out pre-season cast iron skillets in 2002. By 2007, every lodge skillet comes pre-seasoned. So, but they noticed around this time that customer returns started going up. So they investigated why this was happened, and this is because when you season your own skillet, uh, you'll notice that there's a drop of caramelized oil that sticks to the pan that, you know, you chisel off yeah. or whatever. Well, this happens during their seasoning process too, but the way that, just the way that the manufacturing process goes, um, the drop of oil is kind of in the pour spout. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the little angle. Yes. There's a drop of oil that gets stuck there, and when people bring it home, the droplet will break off and it kind of looks like rust. So they would think, oh, this is rusting. I'm going to return it. Oh my gosh. But the whole point of the seasoning is to prevent rust. Right. Exactly. So they realized that's what was happening. So they, they created a new job, which is like at the end of the entire seasoning process, someone with a blowtorch um, melts away that drop of oil. <laughs> Just the one that's like, yes, I want that job. Well, it says that no one really likes doing that job. So instead of having the blowtorch guy, they all take turns with it. Oh. And if it's your day with the blowtorch, you're bubble boy or bubble girl. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's 
cool. They No one likes doing this job, so you only have to do it for one day. That is pretty cool, especially with repetitive work like that. Like, I think that if you had to do it five days a week, one of those days, you're tying the noose. Yes. But yeah, um, I think it's pretty cool that there's a company right here in our hometown that has stayed with the times and been a huge success, but still hasn't neglected, you know, where they come from. Yeah, and has never stopped taking care of the local people. We've always heard that they paid pretty reasonably, too. Yeah, I have heard that. They actually make a cast iron. My sister collects them. They come out with a cast iron Christmas ornament. Wow. I think I don't know if they do it yearly, but I think I think it's every year they have a different one. Yeah, I've seen um, local people with massive cast iron collections. Yeah, it's a huge thing for thrifting, which I didn't really... Yeah, there's cast iron tea kettles. Ooh. We should get in on that. <laughs> See, I had a Japanese tea kettle and the problem, and it was cast iron, but it would rust in the bottom because, you know, you always have that little bit of water. Yeah. And I mean, I never seasoned it. Maybe if I bought an enameled one, it wouldn't be so bad, but. Oh yeah, they would rust, wouldn't they? When I was a teenager, I always hated cast iron because you can't just throw it in the dishwasher. So I would think, what's the point of having this like stupid pot <laughs> if I can't wash it but yeah eventually when you realize washing it is just heating it and rubbing salt in it you're like oh baby <laughs> yeah exactly you're like you mean I just wipe this out with a paper towel and hang it up done <laughs> and it's not gross good <laughs> that's perfect for my lifestyle <laughs> something that I I knew in doing this research that Kelly was going to be on freaking point with covering the history, which is what we decided to do. So I pulled a classic Rachel ADD. And uh, what I'm going to read is straight up verbatim from the wiki page. <laughs> because when's the last time you read the wiki for cast iron cookware? I did today. <laughs> exactly. But for those of you at home, probably never. Never. Exactly. So we're here to read Wikipedia to you. <laughs> so you You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this is our public service. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Southerner and you're listening, an American Dietetic Association study found that cast iron cookware can leach significant amounts of dietary iron into food. The amounts of iron absorbed varied greatly depending on the food, its acidity, its water content, how long it was cooked, and how old the cookware is, which I thought was kind of cool. So the actual age and seasoning of the cookware factors in. Oh. The iron in spaghetti sauce increased 945%. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. While other foods increased less dramatically, for example, the iron in cornbread was raised 28%. It's still <laughs> still substantial increase. Yeah, right? I, it said insubstantial and then 26%. And I was like, who wrote this? <laughs> I mean, compared to 900 and change. Yeah, maybe they're jaded. <laughs> this cornbread ain't shit. <laughs> So anemics and those with iron deficiencies may benefit from this effect, which was the basis for the development of the lucky ironfish, an iron ingot used during cooking to provide dietary iron with those with a deficiency. Oh. Isn't that cool? So you would just drop this little iron fish? Yeah, I've seen those, but I've never used one. Yeah, I didn't get it either until this. And so here's why I thought this was cool specifically. Iron deficiency... Used to be a huge problem in the South due to the hookworm health crisis of 1910. And basically you get hookworm from not wearing shoes and working in fields. The hot, humid climate of the South is a great habitat for the worm, unlike the cold, dry North. So as a result, a lot of Southerners were poor, couldn't afford shoes, and on average had IQs that were 10 points lower. Ooh. Than their, yep. Yikes. And it was literally just anemia. The hookworm 
leaches your blood. Oh my god, really? That's the cause? That's the cause, anemia, yeah. So the whole, this is mind-blowing, and they actually covered it in Stuff You Should Know podcast, so if you ever want to Google that, they're based out of Atlanta, which is part of why they're like, we're not dumb. <laughs> which is Anymore. Like, Anymore, exactly. <laughs> we had the health crisis the one time. <laughs> But the whole reputation of the South being slower, having, a, you know, ha- taking a lot of breaks, being lazier, having a drawl. Fucking anemia. We didn't. Wow. Those are all like, that's literally, it's just anemia. And that's also where the dumb barefoot hillbilly stereotype must come from. Exactly. It's like, wow. And it was literally, it was a health crisis. Oh my God. I remember as a kid, I'm running around barefoot and being told, you have to wear shoes outside or you'll get worms. And I was like, that makes no fucking sense. But I guess they were right. Oh, we were never told that. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, get out there, go for it. Wow. I was never dewormed. Maybe I should look into this. (laughs) This is where we find out I don't actually have ADD. I've had hookworm the whole time. From childhood. Um, so the hookworm crisis, this actually blew my mind. And they seriously, if you're not listening to stuff you should know, you should be because they cover this in a really entertaining way and in greater depth. In 1910, an estimated 40% of the southern United States was infected with hookworm. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. The Rockefeller Sanitary Commission for the Eradication of Hookworm Disease <laughs> was created with the intention of eliminating hookworm across the region. By implementing a three-pronged approach, mapping the disease, curing patients, and providing education, the RSC dramatically reduced the disease but created a culture of public health. So that was like kind of the beginning of <laughs> the, the we got to vaccinate and put shoes on you dumb fuckers. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wear your damn shoes. Get some shoes, Billy. <laughs> come on. What's wrong with you? What's Come Come on. <laughs> Get out of the creek. That's what we always heard as kids. <laughs> Put your damn shoes on. I know I've heard that a hundred times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you earned it every single one. <laughs> we didn't hear that. But. <laughs> Mom was always barefoot in the yard, too. We're just <laughs> straight up hillbillies. Um. So long story short, don't be a dick. Southerners aren't dumb. We literally just had a health crisis. We're not dumb anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and when we were dumb... It wasn't our fault. Yeah. It was the worm's fault. Come on. (laughs) We had worms. I don't know which is worse. We were just stupid or we had like mad worms. Yeah, we had parasites. So (laughs) I got nothing to be ashamed of. I just had worms in my person. Oh God. If you actually, I didn't go into any of this, but part of the reason Southerners had it, we didn't have as much indoor plumbing. So we were walking around in fields. People would. um, Ew. Yeah. They'd get it, and then they had trouble getting rid of it because they'd get it, and then they'd step somewhere near where someone had done their business and reinfected. Oh, yeah, because it gets in the soles of your feet. That's what grossed me out. Like, imagine it digging in your feet. Yeah, a physical worm. (laughs) It's fucking grody. Is grody a southern word? I say that a lot, but I never hear anyone else say it. That word was a big part of my childhood, and now I want to bring it back. Yeah, I, I let go of Grody. <laughs> We're bringing Grody back. I'm bringing Grody back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next time I have a horrible bo, which is tomorrow. Oh yeah, but people. We talked about this a minute ago, but people go do go absolutely freaking gaga for 
their vintage cast iron cookware. And part of it is that that seasoning makes it nonstick. And it's naturally nonstick. Yeah, so. it's pretty awesome. Wow. So I wonder, okay, if we were all anemic from hookworm and cast iron helped our iron deficiencies, I wonder if we were just like, man, I feel great after eating this cornbread. <laughs> <laughs> this skillet's the best. That's kind of what I thought too. Like wow. maybe we were just, our bodies were like, please God, use that one more. <laughs> wow. That makes so much sense. Yeah, especially, like, the numbers. Because you were saying 1896 is when he made it. 1910 was kind of the height of the hookworm yeah. epidemic. Yeah, interesting. Or I wonder when it started. Dude, you guys listen to Stuff You Should Know. I ain't covering that. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I did Google. We were talking about seasoning. Um, Kelly was vegan for a hot minute. And if you're vegan and you want to use cast iron, you can use um, coconut oil. I mean, I'm a big fan of bacon grease. Wow, to season it, you can use coconut oil? Yep, because of fucking course. Goddamn coconut oil. It's a fucking miracle drug. I know. Put it in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, word on the street is it is the best anal lube money can buy. Hmm. It has antimicrobial properties. That's necessary for... Yeah. It's a nice benefit for... That arena. That, yeah. The more you know. <laughs> We're just here to educate. <laughs> So yeah, put coconut oil in your butt. <laughs> coconut oil, put it in your butt. <laughs> we work in advertising. <laughs> well, it's really cool. Okay, so the reason we're obsessed with cast iron is because we had hookworm. But <laughs> <laughs> so that also ties into, well, I think there's a similar, okay, explanation for like, why do Southerners fucking love cornbread? Where did that come from? I will say, I'm sorry, Kelly, to interrupt. When I was a kid, there's poor people cornbread and then there's rich people cornbread. Rich people cornbread has flour in it instead of mostly. Which is bullshit. It is bullshit. I need cornmeal. I like corn kernels in mine too. Yeah, same. And you don't need sugar, really. You don't need sugar. No, you don't. But my grandmother's cornbread choked the ever-loving shit out of me because it was so dry. it was so dry. And I couldn't get into it. But as I got older... And I had other cornbread. Finally, I was like, okay, I get it. I yeah. Get it now. Yeah. It's got to be moist. Exactly. But if you have that one experience where you were literally being strangled to death. Oh, I've had many, many a time <laughs> choking on cornbread. That's got to be like the most redneck ass way to die. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's so, I can see it. I can I, see it. I, I'm having flashbacks right now. Just like, oh, <laughs> on the streets hurts. of South Pittsburgh. It's all itchy. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Last interjection. Do you remember trying like the your first spicy cornbread like at the cornbread festival? Because they have a cookoff. Yeah, jalapeno cornbread. Oh. It's a game changer. Oh. I was actually gonna make that today and then I looked at the recipe and I was like, this is a lot of steps. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Dude, I'm one hundred percent game. <laughs> okay, but we were kind of um the South. But when I say we, I generally mean the South. We were pretty dependent on corn because I did not know this. Um, wheat doesn't really grow here that well. The South is too hot and we have heavy rainfall. So with the heat and the rain, wheat tends to go rancid. So we grew corn instead. Hmm. And so, yeah, all you need is a mortar, a mortar and pestle to make cornmeal. So that's what Southerners cooked with. One of the most classic cooking methods for cornbread in the South was originally called the hoe cake. Have you ever heard of this? I have heard of hoe cakes. I've never had one. 
Do you know how it was originally made? No, but I'm really excited now. Okay, they would take a hoe, heat it. Kelly is right here. (laughs) (laughs) They would. (laughs) Yes. Hoe cake maker in the house. But (laughs) no, they would take a literal garden hoe and stick it in the fire and heat it. And then they would take corn batter and spoon it onto the hot hoe and it would make a cake. And that was hoe cake. That is another reason we had hookworm. Ooh, yeah. We're eating off of fucking garden tools. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I'm like I'm looking at Kelly right now, like part of me was I was wondering why she looked horrified. <laughs> I was so conflicted because on the one hand I was like, now I know where this is named Hoe Cake and I'm really excited about that, but also ew! <laughs> That's some pretty hillbilly shit too. Let's just cook on a damn hoe and eat <laughs> off of it. It's hoe cake. <laughs> what do we call it? Okay. <laughs> Duh. Hey, were you some kind of fancy New York lawyer man trying to tell me what to name a cornbread off a hoe? Yeah, that's some straight up poverty shit. So yeah, we would put corn batter onto garden tools and eat off of it. Right? Like you do. And then um, I guess that's why when cast iron came along, we were all just like, shit, yeah. <laughs> I ain't got to dirty my cast. I ain't got to dirty my hoe no more. <laughs> so... Yeah, so we were already eating cornbread, and we're anemic as fuck. So the corn batter and the cast iron just came together to make this beautiful relationship. And now cornbread is its own fucking culture in the South. It's considered a delicacy of sorts. And it has a festival. And if you're eating rich people cornbread, get the fuck out. Yeah. (laughs) Don't put flour in your cornbread, asshole. Come on. What are we, some kind of Rockefeller? (laughs) savor of the hookworm epidemic of 1910 (laughs) another big delicacy that people swear by live by you go to your grandmother's house there's almost always a pot cooking beans oh yeah like every time you go over there there's beans on the oven and you're like (laughs) why granny why do you just always eat beans but they go really well with cornbread exactly i had this experience with colin's family let me tell you about it kp (laughs) Uh, my family when they make chili or pinto beans, you take it, you put it on a plate, you put your cornbread on the same plate, and then the way it works out, the juice, like your your plate, like you, you're walking it to the couch or whatever, your plate tilts and the juice lands sweetly in the bottom of that cornbread. Oh, that thought horrifies me. I don't like my foods to touch. <laughs> I gonna, can't jive with that. I'm going to buy you one of those separator plates when you come over now because that's adorable. It's going to be like Hello Kitty or something. um well that that's how we did it i never liked pinto beans growing up or chili but i did like (laughs) (laughs) that's where that lives now i never really liked pinto beans but every now and then i'll want chili and i do like it when it when the the juice seeps into the so anyway i go to colin's family's house and his mom made chili and again i'm not big on chili but i was freaking starving because we usually eat at like five and we hadn't gone over there. We usually eat at like six and mm-hmm. we had gone over there right after work. Oh, yeah. It was hungry o'clock. And uh, they had plates here and bowls here. She was like, yeah, just go just go make you some. So I was like, okay, cool. And I grabbed the plate because that's how we do it. And his family laughed so hard. It was hilarious. Oh, because you're putting chili on a plate? Yeah, because <laughs> there, there were bowls like right there. They were like, there are bowls. They're right there. Why did he use it? I was like, this is how we did it. Oh, that's funny. It was like culture shock for me. <laughs> wow. And Colin was like, 
yeah, we'll do that with pinto beans. We don't do it with chili nuts. We did it for both. (laughs) Yeah, I never heard of this tradition, but makes sense. It's pretty legit. Once once you've had it and you see... Didn't you say your grandmother's cornbread was super dry? Yes. Maybe that's where that tradition came from. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. They're like, please God, anything to make this edible. (laughs) It was so bad. My sister makes amazing cornbread, though. So it's like, God, thank you for some some level of redemption in my DNA. Yeah, I am literally the worst cook ever, but I make bitching biscuits and gravy. Oh my God, yes, she does. And I literally learned how to make breakfast gravy from watching my mom cook it. She never even really taught me. I just watched her and remembered it. Biscuits is more trial and error because we ate refrigerated biscuits in the Po house. My mom makes biscuits and... They're really good. My sister makes really good biscuits. Colin makes the biscuits in this house. That missed me. I mean, biscuits are really labor intensive. Yeah. You can't just like mix up the batter and cut it and cook it. You have to fold it and fold it and fold it if you want a good flaky biscuit. And the flakiness is essential. Oh, dude. Yeah. And on top of that, most Southern moms inherited that knowledge from their moms and their moms and their moms. So they don't measure a damn thing. So you're staring. <laughs> That's true. I don't measure anything for gravy. Yeah, I see. I you're just watching, like, dude. I am too stupid <laughs> for this. Like, I, I don't know what kind of sticky I'm supposed to be reaching for. My biscuits are terrible. Although I will say, my sister's husband. <laughs> um, they've been married for a really long time, and early on in their marriage. He was like, I went through a lot of bad biscuits to get here. (laughs) Her biscuits are amazing now, but it just cracked me up. Man, they take practice. And I feel like the secret is a shitload of butter. Dude. Yeah, you kind of have to like freeze the butter and then chop it up into tiny pieces and mix it into the batter. That's that's a winner right there, Rachel. (sighs) I'm all about that. Um, (laughs) There is actually unrelated, unrelated. Um, There's a really good pre-mixed biscuit called southeastern biscuit mix and it's like a dollar a pack you know how they have like the dollar doughs at the grocery store yeah it's it's one of those nice but if you're going to make this thing i could make it for you sometime and use vegetarian sausage oh hell yeah you take sausage or for kp vegetarian sausage (laughs) and you cook in a pound of or like yeah this is a pound right for cream cheese yeah yeah you you take a pound of cream cheese and you heat it in with your sausage and then you just drop biscuits on top Ooh. and you bake it. Dude. That sounds delish. It is pornographic. Wait, this might be eight ounces. Or no, it, that looks like 16 ounces. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I love my little science buddy. <laughs> She's over here like, these measurements. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My favorite. Man, I don't want this to turn into like awesome Southern food, but we should do an episode on that. Yeah, Because I really want to talk about sweet tea and I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> Kelly, look, this is the Kelly and Rachel Southern Hills podcast. That's right. We can do whatever the hell we want. Exactly. You want to talk about sweet tea? I'm your girl. I'm just going to say as an adult, as an adult who, you know, I count calories. I do. And a lot of my friends, we're in our 30s now, so people are starting to count calories. It's just part of growing up. But like fucking sweet tea... <laughs> zero calories no matter how much just don't even (laughs) chug that yeah that's it's always a painful realization for a southerner like oh damn sweet tea has calories 
No, it doesn't. And I drink a glass with everything I eat. And we put a fuck ton of sugar in there. But I eventually trained myself into drinking unsweet tea, unsweetened iced tea. Funny story. I usually get Coke or Coke Zero when I go out, which is another. It's not a Southern thing, but Coke is really popular in the South. Today, I wanted a sweet tea while we were at dinner. So I got a sweet tea. They brought me unsweet tea. (gasps) I was angry in my belly. Angry. Wow. I could feel it. That's a major fuck up around these parts. Yeah, I was, oh, I didn't, I didn't ask for anything to be any different. And then she came back around and poured sweet tea in my cup later. And I was like, bitch, you knew what I wanted. (laughs) This was not a, oh, man, that means some diabetic probably got sweet ass tea. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, we got a lot of those too, Kelly. You're probably right. (laughs) Aww. Man, I wonder what the correlation is between, like, sweet tea drinkers and diabetics. Oh, God. Ooh. We were just fucking doomed from the start because we got sweet tea. Coca-Cola was from here. Fucking moon pies. Yeah, baby. I used to eat so many moon pies. Nobody actually likes moon pies for the, for, for the most part. Yeah. I fucking love moon pies. I have a moon pie scarf. <clears throat> wow. I'm not fucking I love moon pies. And the way you do it. You put it in the microwave for like five seconds and then the marshmallow explodes <laughs> and, and the chocolate just barely melts and my mouth is watering. Man, I cannot eat a whole one. I think they are too big. Hmm. I don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Moon pie. Yes. What a time to be alive. There was this gas station that you could walk to. I grew up right on the river and there was this gas station on the river that you could walk to from my house. Oh, yeah, I remember Anchors. Yeah, or Anchor Inn. Yeah, that's right. Anchors is the deli here that's also dope as hell. Oh, yeah, it's pretty dank. Mm-mm, that falafel, baby. <laughs> so I would walk down to this gas station along the river, and they had moon pies there for 50 cents a piece. I swear I would go buy one like once a day when I was a teenager, and this the clerk that worked there nicknamed me the moon pie girl. <laughs> wow, I did not know this about you. <laughs> it's a true story. I'm not, I can't look Kelly in the eyes right now. <laughs> I'm not judging. So I would get so many moon pies and she worked there for years. And my dad used to shop at that same gas station and he, he would go there and she'd be like, where's moon pie? <laughs> wow, man, I've always wondered who, who eats moon pies? It's me. It's Rachel. <laughs> of course it is. That is hilarious. They're amazing. <laughs> Just stick it in the microwave. I'm going to try that next time. Dude. Do you like the banana ones or just the chocolate ones? Oh, is that a yes? No? You don't know? God, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't introduce fruit into this situation. Are you kidding me? Her face was just utter bewilderment. <laughs> <laughs> like, how dare you <laughs> oh god the cow on Rocco's modern life how dare you <laughs> yeah that's pretty much how i felt don't okay if it's like a pastry unless it's a fruit filling or something don't try to bring fruit into this i know what i'm <laughs> i know what i'm doing <laughs> just let me have my shame okay <laughs> that's funny don't try to bring fruit into this i live here <laughs> i live this is my house <laughs> I remember someone found out that I like moon pies and they brought me banana ones and I had to look excited because it's really sweet when someone remembers something about you and is thoughtful. 
but that motherfucker. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chocolate or else. <laughs> My mom actually gave me this really cute moon pie tin yesterday. Oh, I think I've seen those. Those are really blowing up right now. God, they're so cute. They are cute. I, oh. thought, I thought about getting one. <laughs> <laughs> you should. We could have matching moon pie tins. Oh my god, some Tennessee shit right there. I know, I love it. I like that. <laughs> Maybe this year, for Christmas, I'll get you and me matching cast iron skillet ornaments. That would be amazing. Boom. I have a cast iron cauldron. It was not made by Lodge. Why aren't they in the, the, the cauldron business? Yeah, I wonder if they do or if they've ever made cauldrons. Ooh. <laughs> The Kelly and Rachel wheels are turning. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to look into that. That would be really cool to have. Oh, the wheels in the KP Rachel keep turning. <laughs> we thought about doing an entire Cornbread Festival episode, and I'm not saying that we won't. We already told the cocaine dealer story. Oh, I was hoping that we could talk about that one because that was pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, who would have ever guessed? Yeah, you're just hanging out at the Cornbread Festival. Slang and dope, like you do. But it's funny, I guess it's nostalgia, because when we were kids, the Cornbread Festival, it's in its 21st year now. Hmm. Yeah, this will be year 21, but um, it was a huge deal. And when I was a teenager, it was like the event of the season. <laughs> so I have this nostalgia feeling for it. And every single year, I always get pumped, like, yeah, it's cornbread season. And then I get to the Cornbread Festival, and I'm immediately like, why the fuck did I come here? <laughs> Colin and I went last year and we hit up, they had this one amazing carny ride. I don't remember what it was, but it was so much fun. We rode it like four times. <laughs> yeah, I'm always crushingly disappointed. I mean, there's like 20,000 people there and it's like one city street and a carnival. And you run into everyone you went to high school with. Oh God, yeah, that's the best. It's a good feeling. It's a good it's not good. <laughs> um, there's this haunted house there. And you know, you think haunted house, I'm going to walk through and see things and be scared. No, this haunted house is literally the entire thing. It's a pitch black labyrinth that you have to find your way out of before you have a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> How successful were you, Kelly? I was moderately successful. <laughs> that is horrifying. And it's like the like, the cheapest shit ever. I just imagine I'm just, like, stumbling through, you know, this guy's trailer. <laughs> You're like, please don't step on a syringe. <laughs> Any minute I'm gonna find a spoon with burn marks. Or, like, hear the squelch of a used condom. <laughs> <laughs> That's where someone's babies were made. Gross. Teenage yeah. babies. Gross. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Distraction on distraction. Speaking of babies, I saw this video on the internet, and it was really funny. Cool story, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> this, th These parents were announcing to their two children that they were going to have a third baby. So they were like, they showed the picture, and they were like, here, look. And, he, and the one kid said, oh, my God, I'm going to be a brother again. And the other kid said, when did you have sex? Because wow. he, he had just learned. But that's the most hilarious little kid thing ever. Like, when? <laughs> when did this happen? That's funny. Explain yourself. <laughs> oh, I have a cornbread festival story. Yes. So this was in high school. This is when everyone, everyone went there. 
And okay, I was 15, maybe 16 years old. And I was running around with this other girl who was a year younger than me. We are clearly two underage girls running around. And this like, this carny calls me over and he's like, hey, uh, I got a hotel room and I got liquor. When I get off, do you want to come party? And instead of being like, no, I don't want to do that. I was just like, really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to come party. And he's like, okay, cool. And then I was like, hey, can my friend come too? And he's just like, yeah. So I run and grab her and I'm just like, oh my God, this guy, <laughs> this old guy wants us to party with him later. And so we both go over there. And we're just like, yeah, we're going to party with you later. Like acting really excited about it. Knowing you're not going to do that. Yeah. And then he's just like, okay, well, get off at this time. I'll meet you guys here. And we're just like, yeah, we're going to do that. And then we spent the rest of the night, like at some point he got off and we realized, oh shit, we're still here. And this guy's walking around looking for us. So we just spent the rest of the night, like looking over our shoulder. And every time we saw him, we would scream and run. <laughs> but um, pretty fucked up in retrospect. Yeah. Carnies are creepy. Yeah. That actually happened, something similar happened to us once. Kelly and I were walking around the Walmart in Kimball. Oh my god, I forgot about this. Yup. And these two dudes were like, hey, we're only in town for the night. We're staying at the hotel right over here. There's a pool. Do you guys want to come hang out? And we were like, no. <laughs> no, we were literally like, we have school tomorrow. And they were just like, oh, well, insert bullshit here. But it was super uncomfortable because, I mean, come on, dude. You see, like, two teenage girls in Walmart and you and your friend are middle-aged and hideous. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. They were ugly. Yeah. Kelly ain't fucking around. <laughs> yeah, we were both just like, no. No. God, no. I mean, this is not, it's not flattering to be offered, like, hey, do you want to come be a floozy? Like, that's what you're asking, basically. Yeah. It's like, I'm here for one night. Okay, I have a hotel room. Okay. No, thank you. <laughs> We're both wearing metal shirts. Do we look like the type of girls? <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like I've carried that habit into adulthood. Instead of being like, hell no, go fuck yourself. I'll just be like, yeah, totally. And then run away. <laughs> Why do I do that? I do the same thing. Really? I have literally given dudes in the past my number just because they were so like... Forward. Yeah. And it was like, ah. And then you just ghost them. Yeah. You just never respond. Yeah. It's like, I am way too shy for one. And two, this is weird. And three, you're very intimidating. This is very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. That's true. Hmm. So... So fuck off! Fuck off! <laughs> well, I guess that about wraps it up for Southern Hills Cast Iron Skillet Edition. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed our cornbread episode. Yeah! We're gonna enjoy some cornbread. If you're eating corn muffins <laughs> and they have flour in them, don't even try to act like you've had cornbread before. Yeah, shove that muffin up your asshole. <laughs> yeah, we're not believing you. Yeah. Come to the National Cornbread Festival. Oh, yeah. National's in the name, for the record. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. It's it's a pretty big deal, you know? There are dozens of us. <laughs> so, come to the National Cornbread Festival, eat some actual cornbread. Yeah, drink some sweet tea, and eat a fucking moon pie. You're set. And steal a Martha White banner, unnamed friend. Oh! I used that thing for Gia's. <laughs>
also buy cocaine. <laughs> yeah, if you just look around long enough, you'll find the guy. There just, has to be at least one. Just literally stand in the street and look like you want to buy cocaine, and they will find you. Well, uh, thanks for listening. See you next Thursday.